Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. You hear a lot about omega-3 fatty acids these days and healthy foods that we should all eat in our diet, but how do you know if the food you love is coming from a source that is healthy and sustainable? If it says so on the package, are all fish basically the same? Is it healthier to eat locally? Well, we've got some answers. Jack Kittinger from the Hawaii Fish Trust and Conservation International is in the studio. We're going to talk about how to know where the sushi you love comes from and if it's safe to eat. We'll be taking your calls in just a few minutes at 941-3689 on Oahu. Tell free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. First in medical news, First Hawaiian Bank and Kuakini Health System are having their 20th annual primetime wellness fair tomorrow at Neil Bladesdale Exhibition Hall from about 8.30 in the morning till 12.30 p.m. There's going to be free health screenings, fitness and cooking demos, Free document shredding, even a free notary service will be available. Also, the Hawaii Medication Take Back program will be there. They're going to be ready to help dispose of any unused or expired medication, along with the booth sponsored by Walgreens to help make the shingle shot available to those over 60. Now, this event tomorrow is just on Oahu, but in July, there'll be one on Maui and Kauai in September and in Hilo on Hawaii Island in October. In the meantime, Zoe Weil, president of the Institute for Humane Education, is on the line. Next week, she'll be on Oahu and several events talking about how to best help people, animals, and the environment and ourselves by focusing on interconnectedness, animal rights, environmental preservation, and more. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for calling in from the mainland to talk to us today. I heard you got a little bit of snow over there. Actually, we missed the snow. Oh, we good for you. We have snow in Maine, but the snow is hitting further south, so we lucked out this time. Oh, it sounds like you did. Now, we're talking today about the food supply, and my, my main guest is talking a little bit about how can you know if the fish that you love to eat is actually something healthy and does it come from a sustainable source. And part of what you're going to be doing coming in the next week or so is that, you know, I know on the 15th you have a talk about, you know, most good, least harm, and that's going to be over at the University of Hawaii. But you have a couple of upcoming events that are going to be talking a little bit about what we can do to be more sustainable in our lives and also with the environment. Tell me a little bit about what your programs are all about. Well, there's so many different talks and workshops that I'm going to be doing while I'm in Oahu. I'm so excited for all the different opportunities people will have to come and think about these ideas, how they can live a life that does the most good and the least harm to themselves, to other people, to animals, and to the environment. So I begin the tour on Tuesday, and I'm going to be giving a talk for the Vegetarian Society of Hawaii that's going to be open to the public and free about extending our circle of compassion and doing the most good and the least harm when we eat. And that's Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock. That's going to be at Alawai Golf Course Clubhouse. And then on Wednesday, I'm going to be doing a workshop for teachers, public and private school teachers, also free, that's going to be held at Iolani School. And that's called The World Becomes What You Teach, Educating for a More Peaceful, Just, and Sustainable Future. So that one's for teachers. 
And then on Thursday, I'm going to be doing a, another free public talk for parents about how they can raise their children to find their life's purpose and become solutionaries for a healthier world. And then on Friday, I'll be speaking at the University of Hawaii at Manoa in the Art Auditorium about how to be a solutionary. And that, too, is free, open to the public, and people can explore how they can do whatever they were meant to do to create a more peaceful and just world. And then finally, the one that you mentioned at the beginning uh, is the MOGO workshop, MOGO being short for most good, and it's a day-long transformative workshop where people can really dig deep into what's important to them, how they can live their lives with more meaning and purpose, and embrace the solutionary inside of them that can really make a difference in the world. So that's all day, and there is a small fee for that. It includes lunch and a copy of my book, Most Good, Least Harm. It's going to be held at the University of Hawaii, and everybody can find out about all these different events at our website, which is humaneeducation.org. And if they scroll down on the homepage, they'll see upcoming events, and they can find out about each one of these different events. Now, Zoe, you you mentioned something about solutionary. I'm curious. That's a word that's uh, nice and new to me. What is a solutionary, and why do I want to be one? (laughs) Great question. So a solutionary is somebody who strives to find solutions to the problems that we face. You know, I think that so many of us can feel inundated and a bit uh, despairing at times about the problems that we face in the world, whether those problems are, are problems that we face in the environment or human rights problems or problems that are perpetrated on animals, you know, cruelty that's perpetrated on animals. There's so many different problems. And I think that it's easy in our culture which is a very either-or, side-taking culture, to have a position and fight for your position, but sometimes fail to realize that we need to work together to create solutions, and that we have at our disposal in today's world with the technology that allows us to connect with people across every border, the capacity to really solve our problems. And I think often we tend to take sides more than we try to solve. And so what we believe at the Institute for Humane Education is that we need to teach everybody, children and adults alike, how they can be problem solvers. And we just call that solutionaries. And the exciting thing about being a solutionary is that it's as rewarding for the individual as it is helpful to solving the problems that we face. It feels really great to be somebody who can find new ideas to address systems that are unsustainable and unjust and inhumane and create new pathways to solve our challenges. So that's what a solutionary is. And I think everybody who identifies as a solutionary and finds the path that they need to take for themselves that really combines their individual passions and what they're good at and what they love to do. Everybody who finds that place where the answer to those questions about what they care about, what they're good at, and what they love to do meet is golden. 
All right, so I want to be one now. So if people want to hear more about the information and the events, you mentioned you'll be talking to parents, you'll be talking to students, you'll be talking to the Vegetarian Society, and pretty much you'll be available to talk to anybody who wants to go to some of these public events to hear more about it. They should go to your website. They can either look up you or they can also look up the Institute for Humane Education. And there's a whole list of different events that are going to be taking place starting next week. So it sounds like it's going to be a wonderful opportunity to hear more about how we can collectively work together to come up with some solutions. And boy, don't we have just a few problems out there. All right. Thanks for joining me today, Zoe. I'm so grateful. Thank you. I look forward to meeting you. You got it. I'll see you there. I want to go to the MOGO workshop, not only because it sounds cool, but because it sounds like it's, you know, it's going to be more than just more good, least harm. It's also going to help really to help people to finalize how we can work together to solve some of these troubles. Now, you know, we're talking some more about troubles today with my guest, Jack Kittinger, and we're talking a little bit about, you know, fish and the fish supply. Will we one day outfish the oceans? Will we ever get to the point where if we don't come up with solutions, become solutionaries like Zoe mentioned, will we ever have nothing left but omega-3 fatty acids from like a jar at the pharmacy? Are we in danger of making our food supply less sustainable? Well, hi, Kathleen. Thanks for having me on the show. And that's a big question that a lot of scientists have directed their attention towards. And um, quite famously, there was a study that was published in the journal Science a few years back that predicted the end of seafood by 2048. And, uh, and that was I hope based they're on. Wrong. Yeah, well, we all hope they're wrong. And that was based on a big analysis of a bunch of different fisheries data sets. Uh, and I, I think what that sh- study showed, and it generated a lot of attention in the media as well as in the scientific community, was that some stocks are almost certainly over harvested and unsustainably fished. And many of those stocks are in deep trouble. Uh, that being said, uh, many stocks are very healthy, and we have some very healthy fisheries here in Hawaii that we're lucky to have. Um, but in a related study, probably the world's most famous fisheries scientist, Daniel Polly, coined this term fishing down the food web, where he described the process by which we fish the, the tastiest, largest fish, and as we deplete those, we go down the ladder, so to speak, until we fish things like jellyfish. And that Am seems, I going to want to eat jellyfish someday? Well, that's because I thing. really don't want to <laughs> eat them now. And you know, when they influx on the beach, I kind of steer clear. So, so that would be my least favorite. Yeah, and you know, so his his study also, you know, that that happened back in the late '90s, and there's been repeated evidence that that's actually the case. And and some of that evidence is that a lot of fish that we actually used to throw away, or that we consider discards, or what we call bycatch in the fisheries management world, are now things that we eat regularly. Because we don't that, have any of the good stuff anymore? Well, that, exactly. Yeah, we've overfished some species that uh, you know are the preferred species. And then we've come up with interesting ways to market uh, fishery species that we previously just tossed overboard. So we make them sound really good. Yeah, yeah. A classic example of that that most people uh, or some people might be familiar with is Chilean sea bass, which is actually, uh, you know, our, I think it's a toothfish species, the exact species name <laughs> escapes me but so like if you fry anything we will like it <laughs> because it's fried not so healthy not so good for you but so we're creating fish that we normally well previously i don't want to say normally previously we wouldn't have eaten and now we're actually relying on that because all the other stuff we've overfished 
Well, and part of it, I mean, yeah, part of it is that we've overfished some of these species. And part of it is that we've, uh, as a, well, we, I guess the seafood industry, which I consider myself, you know, a part of, at least in terms of the research communities surrounding it, um, have come up with ways to market new species. And that not that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's a good thing, especially when we're thinking about marketing species that have sustainable biomass that are sustainably harvested and things of that nature. Um, uh, but part of it is that we have overfished species. So uh, as we move down the chain and as we deplete things that uh, we prefer and have to move on to other things, we you know, have to come up with ways to market that in the industry. All right. Well, let's talk about food. Okay. So we've got fats, carbohydrates, and proteins. The building blocks of any healthy diet is a little bit of each of those. Seafood, mainly we're talking about protein. So in fact, you know, some people, it's their only source of protein. Some parts of the world, meat is not available, red meat in particular, or other religious reasons why they may not actually eat other types of things like pork, etc. You know, and fish and shellfish, they provide actually a pretty healthy source of protein. And, you know, they tend to have less saturated fats and other sources. Good way to get some of the omega-3s, which we know are helpful for different areas of the body. In general, how safe is eating fish overall across the board? Yeah, in general, it's a very healthy and safe source of food. And there's various estimates for how many people rely on fish, but some reports uh, say about a billion people in the world rely on seafood as a primary source of protein. Um, some other studies have suggested up to 3 billion of the world's population is reliant on seafood for some percentage of their protein. Um, but however you count it, it's a lot of people that rely on this, and it is a safe and healthy source of seafood, except when it's not. And that's what you know what we and need. And that's to- what we're going to talk about right. today because, <laughs> you know— we mention, I tell people all the time, you know, you need to get more omega-3s or you need to eat healthier sources of protein. And so why don't you incorporate some fish in your diet? And I want to know, is what I'm saying actually appropriate and correct? So let's talk about some of the some of the things that aren't healthy. First of all, in general, is there an average serving size for fish? You know, you hear about X number of ounces, 6 ounces, 12 ounces. What is that? Is that like the size of my fist? Is that like put my two hands together. I mean, how much fish should I be eating? If I were to eat fish, what's my serving size? Yeah, well, that's a good question for your health provider. Um, And it varies a bit by person. I mean, in general, if you go to the restaurant and you order a seafood platter or a fish dinner, you know, you're going to get something like a six to eight ounce uh, piece of fish. So six or eight ounces, I'm looking at maybe put my palm out and chop off some fingers or something. That's about six or eight ounces. More or less. I'm not really chopping off my fingers. It's just for the analogy. Okay. So that's about how much fish would be one serving per se. And, you know, what's your favorite? I'm just curious. What's your favorite fish to eat? You go somewhere, you want to go get some fish. What are you reaching for? Well, my favorite fish is fresh fish. And uh, I was lucky enough to grow up in a coastal area. I grew up in the coastal North Carolinas, and we had rich shellfish fisheries all around where I grew up. And so, you know, my favorite seafood is actually shellfish. i Grew up catching blue crab, which we don't have around here. But um, If we did, I'd kind of wonder well, yeah. where it came from. <laughs> Shouldn't be that color. Yeah, and we do have great shellfish here in Hawaii too. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it varies by person. And, and in general, you know, you can get uh, all kinds of healthy stuff uh, in your markets. The, the question really is whether or not, you know, where it, you can figure out where it came from. So you mentioned fresh fish right. as opposed to not fresh. You mean like frozen fish? Yeah, and that's what I mean by, you know, my favorite seafood is the stuff that's locally caught because 
in general, my, my personal concern is traceability in the seafood supply chain. I want to know where my fish came from, just like many of us want to know where a lot of our food comes from. And seafood is one of those food items in the markets that is notoriously difficult to f- track where it came from and, uh, and, and the sustainability of how it was harvested. And there's almost no information in the marketplace about that, absent a few initiatives that I, you know, I hope we'll talk about today. So why is that? I mean, I've gone to the fish auction just for fun. Mike Buck, a few years ago, used to have his fish auction tour. I don't think he does it anymore, but I remember getting up at this ridiculous early hour. God, I made some people visiting me go with me, and they had just arrived the night before. They were not so pleased. It was like (laughs) 4 or 5 in the morning. But so we go down there, and you see this fish auction. It's really interesting, and it's it's. You know, blew my mind because I knew nothing about it. But it was really an interesting thing to do. But they always say these fish come from and they tend to have a location and then they have little pieces of them. And if you've ever been to the fish auction, you know what I'm talking about. If not, a good idea to go. Check it out. It's really interesting. But they say this is where it came from. Is that not... I mean, the fish don't say, hello, I came from Japan or I came from, you know, Hawaii. They're just fish. How do you, how difficult is it to know where the fish came from? Like the auction tends to tell me where they're from. Is that not really where they're from? No, the auction is a wonderful place to so get to learn more. So that's a good place. Absolutely. And yeah. if it says it's from somewhere, that's where it came from. Well, and I've I've taken students down to the the auction for years uh, when I was teaching at University of Hawaii, and it's a wonderful, wonderful place to learn about seafood. And that's an absolute great example of how you can learn more about where seafood comes from. And we're lucky here in Hawaii that we have a thriving seafood industry uh, that provides, a, you know, provides the islands with fresh seafood. And uh, the auction is a place where you can actually watch the fish come off the boats. You know, we have a limited entry fishery here with uh, uh, an auction system where the fish comes in in the morning. And like you said, it's very early. So you have to get up really yeah. early. And it's... My poor tourist friends were like, <laughs> pick me up in my hotel at what time? But yeah. they were really good sports. And then they loved it. So, okay, it's... you get up early. The fish is delivered, taken off of the boat, brought in. There's this crowd of people. They're all looking at it. and Right. And the buyers are, come from all over um, different um, di- – they represent different kinds Restaurants of markets. Restaurants and various and markets, sure. Exactly. And okay. they – and so a lot of that fish stays on island. We, you know, a lot of buyers buy for local markets and uh, and restaurants and things. But a lot of it actually goes off island, right? Because this tuna that uh, this uh, th- these folks catch is incredibly good, and lots of people want it, of course. So it, so where does it go? Well, it goes all over the world, to be honest. I mean, some of it goes to Japan. A lot of it goes to the U.S. mainland, and it's basically landed here in the U.S. and it's a highly regulated and managed fishery. Um, and they've taken great pains over the years to uh, make the fishery more sustainable in terms particularly of its bycatch for endangered species. Um, and, and you know, it finds its way to markets all over the world. Yeah. I want to find out where it's going. But I also want to find out how we can we can find, even on a local, in a local venue, how you can find out where your fish comes from. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Jack Kittinger. We are talking about sustainable sources of fish. Why is it important to make sure that you buy it and you know where it came from and it wasn't just what was on sale at your favorite big box store? When we come back, we're going to talk more about it. If you've ever wondered where your fish came from or if you ever had any thoughts on trying to make sure that you buy things from a sustainable source, you can give us a holler. We'd love to hear from you. 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. 
many people are prophets in their own time. They're already projecting a way to suffer. Well, it rained this week. God knows what's going to happen next week. It's probably going to have a blizzard, a tornado. We'll be swept away. <laughs> Comedian and stress management teacher Loretta LaRoche on ways to lighten up. Next time on Humankind. This evening at 6.30, right after Marketplace. getting close when they asked whether we thought about how to say goodbye. I'm Colin McCann. This week on Selected Shorts, join me for stories about how to be a man from PRI, Public Radio International. Tuesday at 5 p.m., following Travel with Rick Steves. Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with my buddy, Jack Kittinger. We're talking a little bit today about sustainable sources of fish and how do you know where your fish comes from? Where did it Where did it go to and how are you going to eat it and make sure it's safe? So, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about the fish auction and where fish comes from. But why don't you tell me, Jack, where you come from? Now, tell me a little bit about your background, because I know that you've worked with Stanford and you also work with Conservation International. Your experience in the fish industry is, and here's where we go. Well, I started, um, you know, I started out when I was younger. I grew up in the coastal Carolinas, as I mentioned. And, like in your uh, blue crab. and all That's right. right. So I started off, you know, crabbing. <laughs> but I, I did my Ph.D. here at UH Manoa. And um, shortly thereafter, I took a, a fellowship position with the Center for Ocean Solutions, which is at Stanford University. Uh, and the center is an applied kind of research and action-oriented place where uh, a lot of folks um, try hard to bridge science to policy solutions for, for seafood and fisheries and other ocean sustainability challenges. And so I, I've been working with the center for a little over two years now as a postdoctoral fellow. Uh, and about a year ago, I took a half-time appointment with Conservation International which has a local program here called the Hawaii Fish Trust. I'm the science advisor to that program, and we're based here in Honolulu. So your whole life has really been about fish, and you'd like to see more of it for a longer period of time than the study that said we'll have no fish in 2048, which scares me. Okay, so we were talking a little bit about how do you know where fish comes from. Why is it important? Does it really matter? Well, it does matter. Uh, It matters in a great many ways and to a great many people. Um, Seafood is an integral part of our culture here in Hawaii, and it is in other places in the world, too. Uh, And that's a big part of why it's so important to folks. It's embedded in our traditions. It's embedded in our families. It's embedded in our way of life. Um, Probably most of our listeners that are listening to this right now know a fisherman or have have had some experience on the water with fishing or know of it. Um, But it's also a matter of livelihood for folks who make their living in the ocean. And... um, and that's an, you know, another major implication of sustainable fisheries is sustainable employment, jobs, and livelihoods. So when we say sustainable, the opposite would be unsustainable. So is that where we've overfished those really tasty top-of-the-food-chain fish, and now there's so few of them, we're kind of heading down that food chain or the food web? Globally, that's the case. Um, but you know, the global trends, we ought to also look in our backyard and see what our backyard looks like. And, um, you know, I'm a, personally, I'm a big fan of looking at our, our system as a food shed, all the ways that we produce food that are locally, and then how much of that do we uh, have to draw from external sources from. And, of course, in Hawaii, our, 
uh, we have a fairly unsustainable food system. We import most of our food, and 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 um, and seafood's actually kind of a bright, shining spot. We actually produce a lot of seafood here. So we do that really well. We do that better than we do the other stuff. We still have much room for improvement. So if we look locally and we say, where are we doing it well? We're doing it well with things like the the fish auction with sustaining. Now, you mentioned sustainable fisheries. What? Where are they here in the islands? Is that like the local guy I see fishing on the rocks who seems to be getting some food for dinner? Or is that more on the lines of um, a location where we have sustainable sources of fish? We're not taking too much. We're not taking too little. We're replenishing the supply. Or is it a little bit of both of those? It's a little bit of both. I mean, we can broadly classify our fisheries as being the inshore or nearshore fisheries, like our coral reef fisheries, which you mentioned that you know, we have a lot of folks who go out and harvest and produce food for their own consumption or to give away, which is a big big part of our cultural practice of uh, fishing families in the islands is to gather seafood or, or catch seafood. And, and share it, it and everybody and have some. It. Absolutely. So, you know, we're all going to eat it. We're only going to take as much as we need. And if we have extras, we'll give it to families who need it and we'll eat it today. We're not going to necessarily get so many pounds of it. We'll leave it in our freezer forever. We're just getting what we need today. That's right. I met somebody today who said that's what he does. And yeah. I went, oh, good for you. So bring me some fish. But okay, <laughs> so that's one element. That's... Now, what about on the grander scale? Well, we have the offshore fisheries. So things, folks who fish in the auction and for that, um, you know, that fish outside of the, say, really close inshore, the coral reefs, they're out fishing and usually, you know, in small deeper boats. Deeper water and, area. In deeper water. Those are what we call the pelagic fisheries. It's just a scientific term for open blue water kind of environments. And, and we, you know, we have a number of species there. The species that we catch in those fisheries, by and large, are very migratory. So they move all around, um, all around the Pacific Ocean. And uh, the fleets that come out of Hawaii to harvest those species are kind of catching them when they're moving through or, or going way out in cases of the longline fishery. They'll, they'll travel quite far to, uh, to go get those species, and they bring them into the markets here, but also export them, as I mentioned earlier, to other places. So if they were to bring it locally, we would be able to know from that, from that boat where it came from. And mm-hmm. we would be able to trace it either to, you know, the fish auction or you know, Pier 38 or whatever, wherever it is that it comes from. And then we would know exactly where the fish came from. So so that's a good way to be able to, to trace where your sources of food are coming in from, which is good. Now, there are some source, there are some things that we worry about, you know, pregnant women, we worry about mercury toxicity. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that there are some, there are some folks who eat sea life that potentially is toxic with mercury, talking about whale meat, talking about certain areas where they eat dolphin meat. And these things have enough mercury that it actually could have medical implications. It's toxic. Neurotoxicity is a huge issue. And I think, you know, for countries that promote school children eating this, they really have to think twice because these are kids with, you know, neurologic development right now. They're learning, they're in school, and to have them eat fish that's toxic with mercury is really counterproductive. I know that certain areas in Japan do that, other islands do that. You know, there's locations where that takes place, and that's not necessarily a healthy source of fish because mm-hmm. or seafood because it's it's tainted with mercury. But some of our other fish is tainted with mercury as well. And we tell pregnant women don't have certain types of fish or too much of it because we're worried about the mercury content. What fish has mercury? Well, mercury occurs naturally in the environment. And so that's where it comes from. It's not like we've dumped a bunch of thermometers into the, you know, thermometers used to contain mercury. We didn't 
we didn't put mercury in the ocean. We didn't do it on purpose. It's naturally there. There's various sources of it, but by and large, the mercury that's in seafood is naturally accumulating, and uh, it does something we call bioaccumulation, which means the older and larger species accumulate more of it because they eat down the food. Sure, web. okay. And so, in general, you know, what the EPA recommends is that if you're pregnant or you're, you know, feeding small children, that you just need to um, watch out for a few species, including shark, swordfish king mackerel or tilefish because they contain very high levels of mercury. But what happens with mercury, and this is good that we can demystify maybe some of the rhetoric that's out there, is that actually your body naturally removes it over time. So in essence, what you're doing every time that you eat some seafood is you're giving yourself a little bit of a dose of it. and But your body is going to naturally flush that out. And so the question is whether or not you're taking in too much and overdosing yourself. And that's very rare that that happens. Uh, and it's something that, uh, you know, in general, if you follow the EPA guidelines, which, you know, for pregnant women is to eat no more than 12 ounces and on average two meals per week of fish and shellfish, you'll be totally fine. And there's actually a lot of evidence that, you know, eat, eating fish as part of the diet, especially when you're pregnant, uh, is a healthy option because of all the omega-3s. And sure, the they're good for nature. brain development. And so That's you don't right. want to take away the potential source of That's right. Nutrition, on the other hand, you don't want to eat so much that you're taking in too much mercury. Because it right. can actually have developmental effects on growing fetus of course, yeah. tissue and, that's, and, and growing yeah. children, even neurologically in young children when they're in school. It can also have effects medically on them, mm -hmm. delaying cognition and also having issues with developmental delays. So there's some medical effects. Now, you say it's fairly rare to have mercury levels that are that toxic if you just follow the standard EPA guidelines. Mm -hmm. So if you were to just be careful with where you're, what types of fish you eat, could you, for example, we mentioned some of the fish that has higher levels of, of mercury, so, you know, shark or swordfish, king mackerel. Could you just say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and have a little bit of that, but then I'm going to have my fish source be something else to balance that out? Sure, you could. And, and this is like most things. You know, you should eat in, in moderation, moderation, right? Yeah. <laughs> you don't go hog wild eating uh, a lot of any one thing. And, you know, I think here in the islands, I, I personally have never met anyone who's had mercury toxicity. Um, I've met it's hard plenty to of, find, you know. It is. And, I and, you mean, know, I've seen some folks who come in and say, I want to test my mercury. And we test it. And if they tend to eat a lot of sushi or they tend to eat a lot of fish, you know, we tell them, okay, your level is higher than it should be. And I don't know what effects this has on you because you're an adult and mm -hmm. you're not neurologically growing anymore. But why don't you hold off on some of that for a while? See how you do and we'll check it again later. And, you know, for me, scientifically, I say, OK, if I've checked a blood test and it's high, I should probably change something, have them check the blood test again and have it go down to a to a regular limit. And that will be better for their body, whether or not it's affecting them neurologically or not. Hey, this is this is what I'm supposed to do. But what you're saying is really it's kind of hard to get toxic with mercury for any average adult. Well, yeah, unless you really take it to unless extreme really trying, levels. And yeah. there's other stories of, like, Jeremy Piven, who's a Hollywood actor, is in the well, show Entourage. and he who... said, I can't go into work because I have too much mercury. <laughs> right, and, right. Uh, I don't know enough about whether or not that was true, but that sounded kind of fishy. Sure, so, fishy, shall we say, to me. But okay, all right. But in Hawaii, you know, I, you know, I don't personally know anybody who's had uh, mercury toxicity. It is something that, you know, people in general, if they're concerned, they should look out for. There's also been some work that have shown that, 
selenium, which is another essential mineral that you find in seafood, plays a role in removing it from the body. There's other bigger um, seafood health issues that I think um, are at least on people's mind, and that includes the things like ciguatera, which is a locally occurring um you know, yeah, people get that. That's not fun. Get. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, of course, the all-encompassing dis- discussion that people have been having about the Fukushima radiation. Now, you had something in particular. Some of the fellow colleagues at Stanford had done some research on some of the effects of radiation and if it was present in the food supply. And you said a lot of what they said got misinterpreted. So what was their research about and what did they discover? So these folks at Stanford University and uh, Stony Brook University, which is located in New York, uh, did some very innovative work where they went and captured Pacific bluefin tuna off the coast of San Diego. Uh, And they found— Now, these are big fish or small fish? Oh, these are big fish. Huge fish. The bluefin tuna is an incredible pelagic predator fish. You can tell I don't fish a lot. I'm like, (laughs) is that a big fish? And everyone's probably thinking, duh, yes, it's a big fish. But okay, so this is a big fish, deep water. They're catching these off the coast of California. And these fish migrate all over. Okay. They migrate basin-wide. So these fish spend time off the Sea of Japan, and then they migrate around to the other side of the basin, which, of course, is where these folks caught them. Uh, And basically what they found was the presence, they could detect the presence of cesium radionuclides in the fish's tissues. Um, And, of course, the media got a hold of this study and went, uh, you know, went berserk. (laughs) There was something like a thousand. Sure. It it wasn't necessarily scary that they found it, but it made it scary to me when I heard on the news, oh, my God, fish has toxic radiation. But that's not really what their point was. Well, they found two things. And the media picked up on one. <laughs> the first was that they found Fukushima radiation signatures in the fish. That's what everyone reported. The second thing, which was not widely reported, was that the radiation levels that they found were incredibly low, 10 times lower than uh, you know, what the safe levels are for seafood consumption, and lower than you actually receive in normal radiation uh, you know, just from walking outside. Walking outside. So um, you know, they're, they're, I think their study showed... Um, I think it stirred the pot, at least in the media, uh, went kind of nuts on it. But um, but they were quick to point out that there's no danger in the seafood supply currently. Now, that may change, and things are always subject to change. But, you know, seafood is still a safe uh, food to eat. And, and I think that's what happened with this study is that a lot of folks in the fishing industry uh, actually had some impact from that because the public kind of— um, Got no. scared. Well, they only got one message. You know, they got the message that seafood has radiation in it, which is only half the message, right? And there's naturally occurring radiation that also is in fish, which has nothing to do with Fukushima, and they also detected that as well. Yeah, and they actually, what they, you know, reconstructed was the level of, uh, you know, radiation that's in seafood that we might catch off the U.S. West Coast, for example, um, but they're, they found it may be much higher, actually, if you caught seafood right off Japan immediately sure. after the event, which is what you would expect, right? Um, and, of course, the, I believe the Japanese government, you know, shut they actually, down the seafood sure they industry did at the time. For I mean, already... a certain time and for certain miles, and mm-hmm. you're right. Yeah, so, the, you know, the, uh, the, the levels of radiation, at least, that we're seeing, too, in Hawaii are, are fairly low. And there's a new study by Ken uh, Busler from the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute that just came out, uh, I think, a week ago where he's modeling uh, the kind of distribution of radiation from that event. And uh, and he actually he used public funding. He used a Kickstarter, which is an online uh, 
way to finance yeah, projects. Yeah, I used that. Everybody helped me finance this, and yeah, so it wasn't paid excited. for by okay. you know anyone other than interested folks. No and conflict of interest. No there. conflict yeah. of interest. Okay. And he found that you know basically Hawaii's going to dodge a lot of the radiation from the oceanic circulation at least for the next several years. So we're actually going to receive less radiation than California is, which is good news for us. Maybe not so great news for California, but it's still. At low levels, and I don't, you know, in saying this thing, I don't want folks not to be traveling uh, to California. Well, you and yeah, no, I don't want okay. people to feel like there's no problem. Of course, the the radiation event was a huge uh, disaster in any any way you slice it. So, uh, it is a big issue. But right now, the important message is: so far, uh, our seafood supply system is fairly safe. It's safe. All yeah. right. We had a question from Rike from Honolulu about fish sustainability. Rike, welcome to the Body Show. Aloha. I actually have a comment. I'm glad your guest talked about sustainability of fishing and eating fish. And Friends of the Earth just today published uh, a, a little catalog of non-frankenfish, frankenfish. Non-frankenfish, frankenfish. <laughs> non-frankenfish. Non Frankenfish. Frankenfish being fish that would scare being me? GMO, GMO raised fish. So, like scary fish with teeth that'll bite me and stuff. Well, maybe no. not teeth, but okay. So, we're not talking about piranhas. So, Earth Institute just published it's this list. Friends, friends, okay. Friends of the Earth. Okay. And it's, it's on my smartphone, but I'm not smart enough to look at it while I'm talking. I understand that. Smartphones so are smarter than YouTube. Friends of the Earth has, has a, a list of fish that are non-GMO. Okay. And your point is that that would be a good source? That would be a good source to look at okay. for people who are concerned about GMO foods because we simply don't know enough about them yet. Well, and I'll go with you on the knowledge issue. Um, as far as not knowing enough, but friends of the earth. So, so I'm on, I'm on the website now and let's see. So they have a list of fish. I will take a look and see if I can find it. And, uh, so that's another source for people to take a look now with anything on the internet. You know, one of the things that I always suggest is people consider taking a look and trying to find out a couple of different opinions so that you can make sure that where you're getting your opinion is, is not necessarily biased. We mentioned earlier somebody doing research with Kickstarter, but also just getting the information from a variety of sources. So that way you can really get get the full knowledge basis. So when you read that information, Rike, did you feel like you understood it? And was that something that made you feel more comfortable? It. Oh, yeah. It's easily. I can understand it, so anybody can understand it. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah think... it's, you know, I like to be informed about what I put in my body. And then I can make a decision, yes, it's okay to go there, or no, it's not. Yeah, I think that that's a, a, a concern that a lot of folks share, is trying to know more about where their food comes from, whether it's seafood or other kinds of food. And um, there's been a lot of work, um, including things like, like the, the caller's mentioning about, um, you know, lists of safe seafood and, and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, one of the most famous ones is the Seafood Watch Guide, which the Monterey Bay Aquarium publishes, and they have adopted this very easy, you know, red, yellow, green kind of guidebook, uh, and those kind of indicate the fishery stock status and how healthy the fishery is. And that's a really easy thing. Anyone can go online and see that. And uh, I've even seen it around here in Hawaii, for example, at the Patagonia store up in the North Shore. They've got it. 
And and it gets to this larger push that folks in the you know in fisheries management are moving towards, which is trying to develop awareness and education campaigns and um, and different means by which to communicate which seafood are healthy, where they come from. And, and it's basically all trying to um, create a more informed consumer choice. And that's the goal. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about if you're going to go out to dinner tonight or any time when you're going to your local food store, how can you figure out where the fish is coming from? We're going to talk about a couple of stories that might have been in the news recently that some folks might have heard about, about how we can track some of this food and how we can figure out where it really came from and why that's important to know. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Jack Kittinger. We will be right back after this quick break, talk some more about sustainable fishing and food. New Letters on the Air pays tribute to the late feminist poet Maxine Cuman. Hear insights from four decades about love, tragedy, and nature, as with this 1980 show when she quotes Henry David Thoreau. Making the earth say beans instead of grass, this was my daily work. So I kind of used it as a little metaphor. Maxine Cuman, a past American voice of New Letters on the Air. Tuesday evening at 6.30. Have you ever found yourself interested in a local news report and then missed half of it because you got a phone call? Or maybe you had to park the car and turn the radio off. If you want to find out how that report ended, you can go to hawaiipublicradio.org and click on News. There you'll find links to individual reporters' stories, contributors' essays, neighbor island reports, and the talk show audio archives. The HPR website. It's just a click away. Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Jack Kittinger. We're talking about fish. If you want to go out to go eat some fish tonight, how are you going to know where it comes from? And right before the break, we were talking about the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. I pulled it up online. They have some great information, a video about making better seafood choices and what you can do with helping to choose your fish from a place where the practices are actually not depleting the fish populations, but helping to make sure that we have sustainability so the next generation and the one beyond that can actually have fish that they can enjoy as well. Now, there have been a couple of stories in the media, Jack, and I I read about one of them about a a bust in a restaurant that occurred, I think, in Los Angeles because they were serving some whale meat and they weren't really saying what that was. What was that story about? Well, whale meat, you know, is is not something that can be sold legally in the United States. And um, it's kind of an interesting story. It was about this restaurant in Los Angeles that was known for, um, you know, its seafood diversity <laughs> on its Pushing menu. the envelope so, a little. Okay. Sure. And, um, and uh, I, some folks who um, made this movie called The Cove, which is about the slaughter of dolphins in Japan. And um, for the record, I'm against the slaughter of dolphins in Japan and elsewhere, anywhere in the world. So, okay, so the, the makers of the Cove. They, uh, yeah, they, one of the producers, I guess, got wind that this restaurant was selling uh, illegal whale meat. And if you went into the restaurant and kind of... Winked um, a little, yeah, nodded. Yeah, right, said the secret word, you secret could get password. it. Secret password, okay. So these folks actually set up a sting uh, operation where they sent these two young Sounds women. Sounds like so NCI, you It's know? very, very Hawaii Five O or right, CSI or go. something. And they sent these two young women into the... Uh, sushi restaurant, and they had wires on, and they had video cameras on their clothing, 
uh, and they ordered all this stuff. And they surreptitiously uh, stored some of the meat in, um, in little vials that the folks gave them. And they actually did this twice. And they got the whole transaction on video, and they wow. went back and did genetic studies on the meat. And they're actually you know, able to genotype the meat and tell you exactly what species it is and roughly where that's from. And I want to watch it. Is it on YouTube? Can I watch their videos? Well, I, you know, I went back. I think that this was in the New Yorker. I was actually trying to find the original source. It's been reported on by a number of media outlets, but there was a really good in-depth piece, and I, I believe it was in the New Yorker. But it talks about about this sting operation, and um, and you know, of course, the restaurants now shut down, and the, there's a litigation unfolding around this issue. But it just gets to the issue of, um, you know, what's sustainable in the ocean, and and how do you find out? what's sustainable. And obviously whale harvesting is something that we, uh, as an international community, um, you know, made illegal uh, way back in the 70s. The International Whaling Commission um, has been one of the great success stories for international action on fisheries issues. And that's why uh, whale species have rebounded in numerical abundance, and including the humpbacks that we have here in Hawaii. But it's still happening, though. It there is are still places happening. out there internationally where yeah. they are still doing something that the rest of the world has decided is inappropriate or non-sustainable or not providing a source of food because it's toxic in some way, how is it still happening? Well, that gets to the issue of uh, unanimity, which is almost impossible to achieve in international action, right? Um, you know, we've achieved it for CFCs and the um, and the ozone and that kind of thing. And the whaling is still, in my view anyway, a success, even though you have a few countries, including Japan, uh, who continued to whale. And there's intense pressure on these countries to, you know, stop that practice. Uh, and, of course, it's the subject of, um, you know, reality television and everything. And, and that's a that's an unsustainable reality practice. Reality TV but, has gotten into oh, this, Oh, yeah, yeah. Sea wow. Shepherd has I gotten, don't watch enough TV. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a whole TV show on this, but... You know, this is something that's a little bit further away from the normal folks that, you know, are going to source seafood in the marketplace. And and that's something that, you know, day to day, those of us who enjoy seafood, when we walk into the market and we want to bring something home, uh, it's it's I mentioned this earlier, it's it's hard to uh, know what, you know, what you're buying is sustainably sourced. And there have been various approaches to um, making that more visible, more transparent and more amenable to informed decision-making by the consumer in the marketplace. Now, one restaurant, what was it, in San Francisco? They tried something really cool. Yeah, this, this sushi restaurant. So sushi's the worst, okay? It's one of the worst, uh, not the worst to eat. Everyone loves I love sushi. But it's one of the worst in terms of mislabeling. There's this study um, that uh, this environmental organization, Oceana, did where they found that on average 33% of sushi that you order isn't actually what you order. And every time you order red snapper, like six out of seven times you order that, it's actually not snapper. So what is it? Uh, oh, it's a, a ton of different things. It's other things. Been, yeah, it's okay. other stuff. So uh, sushi is tough, and and there are sustainable sushi restaurants, and there's a big push towards that. And in um, this one restaurant in San Diego, actually had this okay. really interesting. Um, you know, I just saw this article where they are putting QR codes, and they print the QR codes. Those are these little like, uh, you know, strange looking black and white codes that um, you can shoot with your smartphone and it'll direct you to a website. Uh, they're printing these QR codes on rice paper and putting them on the rolls. And you can shoot the roll and it'll tell you exactly what species and they've actually engineered the QR code so it'll, it'll take you and tell you a story about that fish. 
right? Wow. So the, the person who caught it and the sourcing for it. And it's a great way to communicate. Where it know, came from. Exactly, right up front. I mean, and that gives you, you know, as a consumer, something like that gives you an immediate, you know, sense of, ah, oh, okay, you know, this is this is great to eat. I know where it came from. It's healthy. It's actually supporting you know, this person's livelihood, and that, that makes it a it very It makes you easy. feel good, sure. Yeah. But now that's only in this one restaurant. Sure, right. But so, this is the kind of thing, that innovation that folks are developing. And, you know, one of the more common ones, you know, we might not have that yet in some of the restaurants here, but um, what we are getting is, is things like the Marine Stewardship Council. It's MSC certification. And if you go into Whole Foods, for example, they um, are have – they use the MSC process. And what MSC is is an international um, uh, kind of program that certifies fisheries for their sustainability. And the idea is this. It's, it's a good idea, and the implementation has been a little problematic. But the idea is that uh, these folks will go in, look at the fishery, and evaluate it. And, um, you know, if it's sustainable, they will certify it. And then what happens is the folks, they work on the other end to get all these marketplaces – big places, big seafood buyers, Walmart and Whole Foods, uh, to commit to only sourcing sustainable seafood that's MSC certified. And so what happens is this organization mediates that transactive space where the fishery is certified as sustainable. The consumers on the other end of the um, you know, supply chain can have that peace of mind that what they're purchasing is sustainable and, and have that traceability back through the supply chain to know that that's the case. And the reason I want this... Because I, the reason I want to support maybe paying a little extra to have this certification is because this is helping to protect fish availability in the future. Well, it's just directing your dollars towards fisheries that are sustainable. That's the general idea. Because so otherwise, have, if I were to say, I don't care where it comes from, it's on sale, I'm going to eat that, it looks pretty, then I could potentially be contributing to the harm of the ocean and also the harm of that particular fish stock from being overfished and not being available in the future. That's exactly right. So that's why I want to do it is because, A, it's the right thing to do, but B, because that way I can make sure that I'm not I'm not purchasing and putting my dollars towards areas that are not looking towards the future and that are all about, I want your money now, eat my food now, but you know who knows, I might be doing something harmful to the environment. I don't care, you don't care, I'm cheap, I'm on sale, so buy me. Well, that, so yeah, that's that, why I don't want to do that. And that's basically the idea with any food choice. But in this case, the MSC has developed a way for specific to fisheries to certify it. And it hasn't been without controversy. You know, some folks have... You know, taking, what is the controversy? I mean, is it just because well, they're implementing yeah. it and it's difficult or people don't believe in the process? What, what's the big deal? Oh, well, the difficulty boils down to a few things. And the main one is that a lot of small-scale fishers are basically unable to afford the certification. So it's extremely expensive. And the MSC is working to try to decrease the cost. I mean, we don't have any MSC-certified fisheries in Hawaii, for example. And we certainly have some sustainable fisheries uh, products that are, you know, making their way into the global market. And we'd love to be able to communicate that they are sustainable. So, you know, uh, in essence, you know, this is an example of how this certification scheme has not reached as broad as we'd like it to. Uh, that being said, the concept, uh, you know, is a sound one, at least in terms of modifying or at least communicating information to consumers and giving them the opportunity to make choices in the marketplace. And and that's what I think the real power lies. And I think it, 
uh, you know, we're we're exploring that, at least the program I work for, the Hawaii Fish Trust, in terms of how we might do this locally, how we might bring this kind of concept locally into the marketplace and work with seafood producers and uh, and distributors and those that market and sell seafood and purchase it to try to bring this kind of supply chain transparency here. Like the QR codes, like the way that you can really identify where the source of your fish comes from with the intention that you may be willing to or may not even have to pay a little extra to make sure that you're getting it from a sustainable fishery that is interested in protecting the source of that fish for the future. Exactly. Now, something like that, with all these web-based technologies, it really frees up all kinds of things that you could do. You could communicate nutrition information on these things. You could communicate the story of the seafood and and the folks that are involved in producing it and, and the cultural value of that seafood. Uh, you could provide recipes from local chefs. You could do all kinds of wonderful things. And, and this is where, you know, the kind of seafood sustainability um, community, which is a large one, <laughs> is moving us towards these kinds of, uh, you know, innovations and technology-based uh, approaches. Now, what could somebody do locally here in the islands Neighbor Islands, Oahu, today. They're going to the food store. They're going to go buy themselves some fish that they can cook for their family for dinner. What can they do to make sure that they're supporting sustainable fisheries? Is there something they can do locally? Is it where they go to get their fish or whether or not they read the label? What can they do right now tonight? Well, there's several things people can do. The first and the most easy thing to do (laughs) is to buy local seafood. So if it says made in Hawaii, caught in Hawaii, or so, that's available at the food store. So if you were to go to Foodland or Safeway or Whole Foods or, you know, Times, I don't know the names of other places, but they're out there, then you would buy the one that says what? Caught in Hawaii? Made in Hawaii? I don't yeah. know. You can't really do you say you make it in Hawaii. I mean, <laughs> it's swam it, here. Yeah. Sourced in Hawaii. That's the <laughs> word I'm thinking of. Okay. So number one, look at your label. Yeah, and, and labeling local. labeling often doesn't tell the whole story. Um, and so, you know, if you're walking into your local Safeway or something like that, you can always ask the folks there, particularly in the back where they, you know, they have the butcher and they, you know, have the poke stand and all that kind of stuff. Uh, these folks know, and there is local seafood in addition to non-local seafood. And, um, you know, and most of our fisheries products that are in the markets in that kind of environment uh, are generally, uh, not all, but generally m- many of them are sustainably caught. Um, and you can speak with those folks and kind of, and that's a, that's something too that I think people shouldn't be bashful about. I mean, I'm, you know, a little less bashful than most folks, but, you know, I'm never uh, shy about asking folks where it came from. I'm interested in it, for one, and uh, I think many people who are interested in their own food and uh, and where it comes from, you know, uh, can can just go straight to the folks that they're buying it from and ask. And the other thing, of course, is to get to know your local fishermen and source it directly from the folks that are uh, in your neighborhood. And or now, how do I find my local fishermen? Do I go hang by the ocean and say, "Hey, you're fishing stuff. Can I have some?" Well, I mean, how do I find one? Is there like a list of them somewhere? They shouldn't be hard to find. We're on an island <laughs> for okay. one, but but you know, we've done some surveys and so have other folks on how many people fish in the islands. And it's somewhere between, um, you know, given how you do the statistics, a quarter to a third of the population engages some sort of harvesting or fishing activity. That's incredibly high. 
That is. Uh, I'm so afraid this, to fish. So these I mean, are your I'm neighbors, to, like, your community kill members. Something and so, but if someone yeah. else did it, I might be happier. Okay. So these are my neighbors. These are my. These are people I know. If I were to just go drive down by the beach, I might see some of these folks. Are they all in a certain area? Is the good fish somewhere? Or are these people who are taking their boat out to like go catch deeper water fish? Well, you know, if you don't know a fisherman, the, the next best guess is to go to the market. And we have, you know, local seafood, like I mentioned, in a lot of markets. And we have local seafood markets, you know, around. So go to a market. Yeah. and Talk to the person who might have caught it or they know something about the, it. You know, behind the, uh, the, the glass. glass and, partition. Or... And, and, and chat with them about the seafood and get to know more about it. And, you know, the other thing that, that folks can do just in their own backyard is to minimize pollutants to the environment. Because uh, I don't think most People don't realize this, but the you know the land environment is fisheries habitat. We're the land systems here are so closely connected to the sea, and you know the better a job we do taking care of the land, the better job we're going to have. The be- the more seafood we're going to have in our ocean environment, and we need a healthy environment to have a healthy fishery stock. And um, you know the fishing community and the the fishing industry and the folks who work on marine conservation and stewardship. Uh, all agree on one thing, and that is that we want more fish. Uh, we may disagree about how to get there uh, as a community, and and that's part of the healthy debate that you know any sustainability initiative has. Uh, but uh, but one thing we agree on is that we want more fish, and so um, part of that is is supporting the local uh, seafood producers and making sure that their way of life and the livelihoods that they have, as well as the cultural services they provide our communities, are recognized, are valued. Uh, and and continue to be sustained. Uh, the other part is, as consumers, you know, we can drive the market. Uh, you just saw Walmart, uh, um, you know, a few years back, committed to only sourcing sustainable seafood, and they're responding to consumer demand. Uh, in so the put same, your money where your mouth is. Put your money where literally you're, where you're going to eat. That's right. right. Yeah. So okay. we can drive as a community the choices available in the marketplace, and that's why I think buy local is a, a great easy strategy that we can all take to shore up and further strengthen our seafood supply systems here in the islands. And support those people who are already doing that. That's right. Because you mentioned they may not have this official certification, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's not what they're doing. Oh, absolutely. And the certification is just one tool in the toolbox to to get towards sustainable fisheries. There are many. Um, We take a number of different approaches to try to manage fisheries here in Hawaii. And, um, you know, we have our own challenges. We have all kinds of, of issues that we try to deal with. Uh, you know, we're all working on that, and we have seen, um, you know, some uh, big problems in our fisheries, but um, we also have a lot to celebrate, and that's part of it. I, I you know, when you work on sustainability initiatives that, uh, you know, the, I tell people all the time I work on coral reefs, and the first thing they say is, that, oh, that must be depressing. <laughs> because it doesn't reefs, have to be. Okay. It doesn't have to be, and I think that's part of the, the, the thing that, you know, that we need to communicate is that seafood is a, is a wonderful part of our lives. And we want to keep it for the next generation. All right. Thanks so much for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. Well, thank you for having me, Kathleen. I really appreciate it. We'll have to have you on again. All right. That was Dr. Jack Kittinger coming from the Conservation International and the Hawaii Fish Trust. If you want to hear this show again, head to our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org. Engineer David Chong, executive producer Beth Ann Koslovich. We'll talk to you next Monday right here on The Body Show.